The Appendix and Podcast, Episode 34, Less Darkness Fall by L. Sprague de Camp. Welcome to the Appendix and Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wynn, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome back, Jeff. Hiya. And joining us uh, once again is our special guest, uh, Louis Brenton. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Or as he's known, known in France, Louis Breton. Correct. Uh, since it's been a while since you've been on the show, Lewis, why don't you uh, reintroduce yourselves to the to the uh, audience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name's Lewis Brenton. Uh, I live in the suburbs of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I, I grew up in Indiana, but I've been down here quite a while now. And uh, my gaming background goes all the way back to Redbox Dungeons and Dragons back in 1983 or 84. So way back in the day. Um, I've been gaming most of my life. All right, good, good credentials. Well, it's it's great to have you back, Lewis. And tonight we are talking about uh, "Less Darkness Fall" by L. Sprague de Camp, uh, which is French for "The Sprague of the Camp." Um, <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Lewis. That was that was appropriate. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, since. Uh, since uh, Mr. Mr. DeComp is a, is a new author to uh, the, the show, I will, I'll just give a rundown of his biography. Uh, Leon Sprague DeComp was born uh, November 27, 1907. He died November 6, 2000, uh, at the age of 92. Uh, according to uh, Wikipedia, according to his, his bio, in, in a career spanning 60 years, he wrote over 100 books, including novels and works of nonfiction, including biographies of other fantasy authors. He was a major figure in science fiction during the genre's heyday in the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, he was born in New York City. Uh, his parents sent him to boarding school to cure him of intellectual arrogance and lack of discipline. Uh, apparently he was he was there for ten years and uh, he was uh, physically weak, so he was he was bullied and he developed uh, an air of detached uh, analytical style. Uh, people people who didn't know him very well considered him to be a, a rather cold person. Uh, he was an aeronautical engineer by trade. He did under, undergraduate study at the California Institute of Technology. He earned a Bachelor's of Science at Caltech and earned his Master's in Engineering at Stevens Institute of Technology in 1933. Uh, his first job took him to good old Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, where I've, I've been there, and there's an awesome uh, gaming convention there twice a year called Mepicon. Check it out. And that's all I'm going to say about Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, during World War II, he was a researcher at the Philadelphia Naval Yard, uh, where he worked with some folks named Robert A. Heinlein and Isaac Asimov. Uh, he was a founding member of Swordsmen and Sorcerers Guild of America, otherwise known as Saga, in the 1960s, uh, led by none other than Lynn Carter. So, uh, quite, quite some credentials. I couldn't actually find any information about how he... Uh, got into into uh, science fiction writing and fantasy writing. Uh, he's he's known for both genres. Uh, Less Darkness Fall was uh, published in, first as a short story in Unknown in December 1939, and then as a novel by Henry Holt and Company in 1941. It was one of the earliest and most influential uh, novels in the genre of alternate history. And uh, famous alternate history author Harry Turtledove said it in inspired him 
to to write and to and to and to study history. So uh, quite quite a, a pedigree. Before we continue our discussion, a word from our sponsor. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight. 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 Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. It's trying to sound creepy, though. And now to our discussion of Lest Darkness Fall by L. Sprague de Camp. Yeah, this is one of those storied classics of science fiction's golden era that I never actually got around to reading until uh, until it came time for the podcast. Yeah, I, I had never heard of it. In fact, I'd never really heard of Els Brog de Comp since I started doing uh, the the Appendix N show. But uh, yeah, I was I was really impressed with this, this. This appears to be the the earliest novel on his bibliography, so I'm I'm guessing it's his first novel. Uh, and for a first novel, it's it's pretty darn good. Um, it's definitely readable in a way that certainly some of the some of the stuff that we've been reading up to this point has not always been. There's a there's a breeziness to it. Yeah. That is uh, makes it kind of makes it fun. Yeah, it's fun. I, mean, it, I think fun is a good word for it. It it I mean it it's it it hits the ground running. I mean it, the 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 opening chapter we're introduced to our hero uh, Martin Padway. Who is an archaeologist, uh, and he's 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 visiting Rome, and he's he's riding around with his friend uh, Professor Tancredi, uh, and Tancredi says, "I have a theory that when people disappear, they're not really disappearing; they're going back in time, and that's a that's a scientific theory." That's his dinner conversation. <laughs> yes, that's that's a, a a a scientific theory proposed of but by a real scientist. It's um, almost as if he knows he's in the opening chapter of a book about uh, a guy that time travels. So when 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 people disappear, they're they're not really going missing; they're 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 going back in time. That 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 is the premise of the novel. And then the car stops. Martin gets out. He's hit by lightning, and he's sent back in time. That's it. There's there there there's no uh, DeLorean. There's there's no uh, nutty professor in the basement of a a college. Uh, laboratory it's he's hit by lightning and sent back in time and that's where our, our story begins it's awesome well in a connecticut yankee in king arthur's court as i recall um it's been a very long time since i read the abridged big little book child's version of a connecticut yankee in king arthur's court uh but as i recall the main character in that story just fell and bumped his head and woke up in king arthur times yeah the author the authors don't seem to want to bother spending much time on okay how do we get the guy there i just want to tell this story so he's going to get there well you can either tell a story about time travel or you can tell a story about somebody who is in the past that's right i think that's that's you look at like the back to the future trilogy that ended up just being all kinds of jumping around through time and Mm -hmm. affecting timelines and so forth it would have been really different if the only time that marty went back marty ever traveled to was 1955 yeah, and, and then the, the rest of the book is basically just a giant game of Civ. So apparently Martin, Martin is, is lucky because he, he's apparently really smart and knows lots of stuff. about. I mean, he's, 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 he knows he's, a suspicious amount of stuff. Yeah, yeah he's an archaeologist yeah. and he's, he's in Rome, so, it, so it, it's understandable that, that he knows 
uh, Roman history and he, he knows Latin really well, but apparently he also just knows how to make things. And, uh, yeah, he like, he, he, he's, he's well-versed in, in, in all sorts of disciplines, which is, which is, is how he gets, he gets by. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I could do as decent a job as he does at creating brandy through simple distillation, but I have a PhD in chemistry and I went to grad school for eight years, uh, wherein I did a lot of distillations. I, I don't feel like that's true of the average you know person off the street, even the one who took organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And he's... I, it's inter- I thought it was interesting that when they did the time travel, because in other fiction, we're going to see time travel that's really both time and space travel, mm-hmm. that he is literally dropping straight down a hole to that exact same spot just much, much earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's good because he knows the language, or at least he can kind of suss out the language. Well, the same spot relative to the center of the Earth, right? not necessarily relative to the sun, for instance. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, and and unlike unlike a lot of other time travel stories, it's it's not about him getting back to the present. He actually stays in in Rome in the past and changes history. And it's 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 not like um, you know, it's 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 not um, it 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 doesn't end end badly like like you think this this kind of of, of story would. Like his 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 efforts don't all like backfire on him. He actually basically ends up in charge of Rome and invents uh, a, a ton of things be, be, before their time and basically prevents the, the fall of Rome leading leading to an, an alternate timeline which uh, at least at least Elsprog de Comp thinks is a is a better timeline um, apparently uh, none other than than Frederick Pohl wrote a wrote a response uh, to this uh, story. Where a man goes back in time and does 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 a similar thing, and the result is the the Earth is overpopulated. Hmm. Overpopulation was a big uh, like social concern in the '60s. Seemed like it was really really current and a problem that was going to need to be solved. And then, uh, you know, birth control and family planning came along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, our our population. Uh, well, the, I mean the I mean the global population seems to. Seems to keep going up and up and up. So maybe maybe local overpopulation isn't isn't a concern, but um, it's no longer a, it's no longer something that's fashionable to be concerned about. At least I guess yeah. I guess. What what do we want to say about about Martin? He's 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 a lot like like Bilbo. Uh, I thought in in some respects he's he's even called called Mouse is his yeah. is his nickname, which is which is a small meek little furry animal, much much like a like a hobbit. Uh, yes. He's yeah. he's very polite. He doesn't like to get into trouble. He he avoids mixing into politics for the for the, for the longest time, uh, and then and then at, at some point, like midway through the book, he just sort of finds his his courage. It's it's really more like his his consternation and and frustration at, at all these people gets gets the better of him, of him. He he just, he just sort of says, "Well, I'm gonna I I just have to do everything myself." That's right. Yeah, he thinks he's the only competent guy on the planet, and he kind of is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah, he kind of takes everything into hand. I think it's interesting that you compare him to Bilbo, because that's not a comparison that I would make at all. Um, the thing about Martin is that he views everybody around him with a sort of genial contempt. Um, it, 
everybody except yeah well like you say everybody except him is an idiot and that's a an arrogance that i know i certainly never saw in in bilbo or a bilbo type character i don't know that this is the story of martin finding his courage because he seems to have the same sort of you know the the same sort of sense that he's playing a game of civ and the people around him are mm-hmm. are not fully fully human and he doesn't really need to be concerned about them as people or concerned about their feelings except in as much as it affects him on how they how they treat him on a practical level i don't sure. i don't really feel like he has friends in the past that he all of his relationships seem very transactional there are people who are friendly towards him but i don't ever get the sense that martin really cares about any of them yeah i think his his bilbo similarity would probably fall in the category of definitely not a classic action hero um he's very much uh he's got a he survives on his wits and uh just instance of cleverness and very very occasional spats of true bravery or at least foolishness that people interpret as bravery later uh in a couple of cases Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 narrative does seem to take a, a very um, ethnocentrist or or tem- temporal centrist uh, uh, point point of view that that well, we we here in the twentieth century are are you know educated and of course we know we know better and and um, you know every everyone's ways in the, in the past were I mean they 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 were, were basically pagans and fools, right? Um, well, I don't know about that because I feel like while while Martin is contemptuous of the abilities of the people around him, I don't know that the text really supports that. Uh, that was actually something that kind of impressed me about *Less Darkness Fall*. Was the I felt like you know the people that uh, that Martin encountered in the past they were just a bunch of guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, they there was a there was a down to earth regularness about them that felt like they could have been in the in the present of 1939 Italy rather than in you know in ancient days yeah, which i, I mean, guess he, was came mostly from the lack of people saying things like forsooth yeah yeah pretty much i mean he 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 gives all his his characters like regular speech patterns they don't they don't you know talk like they're like like they're actors at the at the Ren fair for sure definitely i would contrast it to like edgar rice burroughs stories in which you have a you know, a guy from the uh, from the modern era traveling to some distant, blighted, uh, barbaric land. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the, the 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 people that he interacts with, in uh, the the people that John Carter interacts with, aren't you know aren't just guys the way that the citizens yeah. of uh, what is it, Ravenna. Well, I mean, uh, neither neither is John Carter. I mean, John John Carter ends up talking the same way as everyone else in the book too, if 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 I recall correctly. But uh, yeah, you. Yeah, it's it's definitely written in a, in in at least what Burroughs thinks is a, is a, is a high language style. Um, where was I going? What? So we yeah, one of one of the first people that that Martin meets is is Thomas's the Syrian, this this banker character who who pops up again and again at least until about about halfway through through the book when 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 Martin just starts doing everything himself. Um, even even though he's He's um, he he's a Syrian, and I, I I sort of sort of read him as as like like a, a stereotypical Jewish character because he's 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 always going, "Are you listening, God? Are you listening to this foolish man? This this man walks into my bank and wants to take take a loan from me, and he's, oi, 
So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm 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 Jewish, so mm-hmm. I can I can uh, I can you can say that I can yeah. say that yeah. The the uh, yeah, the first guy he meets is that guy, and he spends about three quarters of the book. They're friends, but they're friends who don't mind kind of outmaneuvering each other at the same time. Yeah, there's there's lots of haggling. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, and it, they don't seem to mind taking advantage of each other, but it's like they all think it's in good fun, and they, it doesn't mess up their relationship at any point. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it, it's very good good natured. It's yeah, I mean, it's sort of typical of the kind of ironic detachment that Martin has going through most of the book. Mm-hmm. And he's he 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 meets a he he has a Viking friend. Well, I guess he's not a Viking. He's a he's an Ostrogoth. Or or Visigoth or something. Who's his? He's uh, a he's a vandal, isn't he? From uh, from Carthage, North Africa. Which uh, I confuses me a little bit, but I'm not. I don't know anything about that period in history. Right. Yeah, I, I yeah I, I don't I, I get all the I get all the tribes uh, mixed up. De Camp does a does a good job as uh, of portraying Rome as as very um, uh, co- cosmopolitan. I mean, there's there's people from all over the empire living in this city because, of course. By then, you know the, the the Roman Empire had spread all over most most of Europe and 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 into, into Asia. So, I mean, of course, there 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 would be would be people from from Syria and people from 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 North Africa and people from all over living living there. And and yeah, they're 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 all just guys, and they're they're all just sort of unaware that uh, Rome has fallen, right? Because I mean, the 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 fall of Rome is sort of a a, a thing that historians assigned you know they 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 had to pick a date when when rome fell and they, they just decided that it was it was this year when mm-hmm. uh belisarius marched up up italy and and attacked rome but to the people living living in in rome uh i mean it's it's, it's just rome right it's it's, it's rome yeah. under the under Ostr- the ostrogoths yeah, yeah. okay yeah and yeah, you can say there's, there's just more Goths in Rome now than there were before. Yeah, yeah but, there were there were Goths in Rome before that. Yeah, yeah. And you could everyone, argue that the fall of Rome was the Ostrogoth conquest, but yeah, but everyone just considers themselves Romans. They're they're just living living their their lives and and uh, and uh, go, going about their business. Uh, we're told uh, the king is some guy named Theudahad. Yeah, sure. And he's about half crazy. Yeah, he he likes reading, yes. and he's he's not interested in war or politics. He he likes reading, and being uh, left 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 alone. And yeah, he's he, he's kind of old and senile. Um, now I I shared a, a series of uh, videos by by uh, the 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 extra credits people that that covered um, Just, Justinian. Well, I, I guess first, first I should I should ask was was, was anyone familiar with, with this with this period of, of of history with with just Justinian and Belisarius before reading this book? No, I knew, no. A, I knew a little bit from uh, reading like Larry Gonick's Cartoon History of the Universe, and there was a Ken Height suppressed transmission column about uh, Justinian at one point. So, to answer your question, no. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, there there was the. There's a there's a channel on YouTube called Extra Credits, and among other things, they they do a series called Extra History, and they they just happen to do uh, the the reign of Emperor Justinian 
probably a few months before I, I got my hands on Less Darkness Fall. So uh, I I knew who Belisarius was from from those videos uh, before before I read the book, and he was he was an an, an awesome guy. And it was it was it was just fun to see him show up in in this book because he's he's one of the great uh, historical generals, uh, and uh, Martin just sort of beats him by knowing where he's going to be. Yeah, he technically doesn't outthink him. He kind of cheats. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, like he he gets him him on his side, and 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 then he has Belisarius fighting for him. So yeah, I mean, it it really does become like a like a giant game game of Civ. I'm going to move Belisarius to this province, and he's he's gonna he's gonna uh, make make an, an attack roll on my on my enemies or something. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never that's actually right. pl- I've never actually played Civ, so maybe that's something that you don't do in that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, 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 it does feel like a like a giant game of, of uh, alternate history, um, tactical warfare, or or something, you know the the, the kind of thing that, that you know that inspired the the Napoleonic warfare games that, that Gygax would have been would have been playing uh, in the in the sixties sixties and seventies. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, and I was wondering about that. I wrote some notes down about. Why? Why do we have Gygax mentioning mentioning this particular story? What are some of your guys' thoughts about that? Why? Why is this brought up in Appendix N? It's hard to say that this is the probable reason that Gygax included it, but the the kind of breezy, um, ironically detached, uh, low, not taking the stakes very seriously attitude that that the book is uh, kind of presents uh, did remind me a lot of uh, role-playing games I certainly I've I've run and played in games where people in the uh, with with Martin Padway's like lac- uh, laconic in that way um, would not be out of place sure and if you're sure. if you're gonna set a game in in Rome uh, you know this this would be a good Book book to read just to just to get some some ideas of how Rome worked at 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 the time. I mean, you don't you don't have sure. to set your game in a in a fantasy world. I I remember distinctly that during the uh, A A D and D games, there there were books about setting games in 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 Rome and and during uh, the hi- historical Viking times. Right, right. Something I thought about too is part of this book kind of simulates the player's experience of D&D mm-hmm. cuz here here the player is gets to be transported into this other world and gets to interact with this other world a world very much not his you know and of course it happens to be a, a medieval period almost sort of a world and uh and that that's the player's experience what Padaway is doing except that he is he is playing himself in it but what D and D players do is we we are put into these worlds and get to run around in them like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, Padway is just just lucky that uh, uh, he doesn't he doesn't end up in in uh, violent situations nearly nearly as often as uh, as D and D players do. But but when wh- heroes in these books always seem seem to have some some sort of uh, rudimentary fencing skill that that gets them out 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 of trouble. <laughs> Which they, which they, right. they, they just, get the lucky stab in at least once. Yeah, 
Well, when yeah. we when we get to uh, the the complete enchanter, we'll we'll see we'll see more of that. Oh, he just happened to know fencing. Mm. Um. Yeah. Does Does yeah. anyone have have like like a favorite part or or some something else that they that they want to bring up? I I I enjoyed his uh, various bad attempts at romance. Yeah, I, that's what I was actually going to say is when uh, I think my favorite moment in the book is when he uh, he breaks up the wedding uh, with the princess uh, Matha Swintha or something like that. Is that yeah, in my close? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and, you know, she's a person of great prominence and she also happens to be very good looking. And so he sets his eye on her. But then he, he gets the girl and very rapidly discovers within moments that he doesn't want the girl. Well, and, she, uh, she, I just thought that was marvelous. She 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 says, "Well, it's once once you marry me, you 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 have to kill all my rivals, or or, right. or before you marry me, because I, mean, I mean that's that's what you did in that time. If you you know you 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 had to murder people to protect yourself. Um, yeah. And the and the other girl, he's he's got his his eye on is uh, Dor- Dorothea, but he by by uh, saving Rome." Uh, he he accidentally allows uh, pe- people to burn down her uh, farmhouse where where she kept all her all her her dolls and things. So she's she's mad at him him forever. Uh. Understandably, I think. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't think that she was out of line being upset. Yeah, uh, but you left off uh, Julia, his <laughs> yes. maid that he hit on, slept with, and then fired. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Well, I That's think right. I think he got he got drunk, and and she hit on him in a moment of weakness. Is is how I remembered that scenario. But no, no, he was a little tipsy. She was serving him. He like slapped her butt. And, oh, okay, yeah, I remember. And then, and then later she came to his room and was like, you know, when you slapped my butt earlier, was that the sign of wanting to do something? And he was like, yes, sure, because he was at that point very drunk mm-hmm. and. Uh, then he woke up in the morning, regretted it because she was, I guess, Italian and had big feet. The fact oh, that she had big feet just I, came I, up I a I believe he saw like and like like fired. a cockroach crawl out of her armpit or something. It was a, a louse, I think, is what it yeah, was. Yeah, a louse. Yeah, like 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 she was the only person in ancient Rome who had lice. <laughs> That's right. And Dorothea didn't have lice. Come on, come on. Yeah. Yeah. But they had small feet. Yeah. So I, I I have to admit I just found it refreshing that there was not a the, the quest to get the girl was never really center stage. I just mm-hmm. I enjoy stories where that's not the case because it's such a trope, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I enjoy that when it's not the case, and that was the most like I said the most amusing part of the book was you know was the three or four seconds of joy when he discovers that the princess likes him back, and then immense horror as soon as the conversation begins immediately after that of what have I gotten myself into here and how can I extricate myself from this situation? It struck me as another example of Padway treating the people around him like, like they were less than fully human. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just, that's just a through line that kind of ran through the whole thing. I've was looking uh, online and uh, I found in more than one place, people, People uh, discussion of less darkness fall and people pointing out that Padway has this you know, kind of shitty detached attitude and um, 
the the common rebuttal to that is that oh, Elspreg de Camp did that on purpose. It's it's kind of over the top, which I can I'm not I'm not going to disagree with necessarily. It's uh, it definitely doesn't like ruin the book or anything for me. It continues no. to be a a really pleasant and breezy and fun read. Although the plot does kind of all kind of uh, blend together in my mind, but. Um, yeah, I, I did not really like Padway, basically. I, I considered him to be a pretty unlikable protagonist. Um, but the book was still fun. Interesting. Well, it's not just, it's not just. yeah, I agree. I didn't like him personally very much, but it's not just people he treats that way. It's history. I mean, this is, a, this mm. is an archaeologist who does not give a crap about history in, in one sense. You know, because I, man, I've just... Recently, I've been on a Star Trek kick, so I've been watching a lot of Star Trek episodes, and it's all the Prime Directive, and don't mess with the culture, and if you travel back in time, don't mess with the timeline. And man, he gets there, and he, his immediate thing is, okay, what's the most utilitarian thing to me? How can I disrupt this culture in a way that is maximum good to me? You know, and he's everything that the increasing scale of his involvement is always defensive. You know, it's it's to protect the lifestyle he's building for himself there. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. he he starts out really small with with just making brandy, and like like all he really wants to do is 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 keep himself clean, bathed, find a way to to brush his teeth, and it it just sort of sort of escalates. Well, I mean, he talks about or reflects upon how his goal is preventing the dark ages, mm-hmm. right? That's the title of the book. Yes. Um, but it. I don't know. I never really believed that Padway particularly cared about preventing the Dark Ages. That he was like, oh, the horrible suffering of the Hundred Years' War. I want to prevent that, or not the Hundred Years' War. What was the, the First Crusade? I want to. Pre- I want to. Pre- I want to prevent that. I want to prevent that suffering and that death. I, I never got the sense that that was his real Hill's real motivation. He was just just doing it to to rack up his score. Yeah, pretty and much. usually. It seemed to me that the language about putting off the Dark Ages was mostly narrator point of view language and not directly coming out of Padway's mouth even. That's true. There was a, 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 a weird sort of disconnect between the omniscient narrator and Padway's uh, thought processes in, in several places. And I say weird in a, an interesting, and, and I'm not saying bad, uh, bad kind of way. Yeah, just unusual. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think we we can all agree that that we liked the book. It was it was a fun read. Uh, I liked I liked Martin, and I, I I liked all the all the characters. Um, I liked I liked getting 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 to know them and 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 uh, watching them watching them just do their do their thing. Um, I, I liked everybody else, and I, I really enjoyed seeing the the sort of examination of the economics of a uh, of the of the of the political system in that era, and the way that um, well, you know Padway decides to print a newspaper and mm. gets that you know vellum is. Uh, what for, apparently forgets what vellum is made out of and thinks that he can get thousands of sheets of it on a regular basis. And yep. uh, that's one of his, one of his few failures. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he, he fails a, a, a bunch of times. I mean, you think he's, um, I think he, at one point he's, he's, he's working on a, on a watch, I think, or, 
or or something, some some kind of me, 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 mechanical device, and he he can't quite fig, fig, figure it out. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's not quite the uh, the the scientist guy from um, uh, from 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 the from the Hollow World books, who who just oh, we'll just get a get a bunch of books, and I'll figure out how to build battleships over overnight. <laughs> uh, and he's not the professor from Gilligan's Island who can build a radio out of a coconut tree either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's interesting because that's you know what, what Jeff, what you just pointed out is the fact that there's a whole technology tree that exists and we we build we continue to progress and build because we're taking advantage of previously existing technology and riffing on it and saying well what if we put this thing with this other thing and so he decides he wants to do printing well okay i can invent a printing press and that's kind of the easy part but then he's got to come up with ink that works and paper that works and and uh, a bunch of stuff like that and i thought that was really interesting and his utter failure to successfully make gunpowder and cannons and uh because they just the meddler just just weren't up to it and his chemistry wasn't good enough to figure out the the formula so it seemed kind of arbitrary that he was unable to manufacture black powder given all of the other things that he was able to to come up with i would have thought that would be in his wheelhouse Mm -hmm. um and i wonder if maybe that is ties back into D&D in some way, the absence of guns and gunpowder. Since that's like one of, to my mind, that's one of like the definite, one of the definitional things of the generic first edition Mm AD&D type setting is that there are, there are no guns. There can be, you can have penicillin, you can have, um, you could have you could have the light bulb, I think, but you can't have guns in D and D. It it immediately stops being D and D and becomes something else when you add firearms. Um, maybe may, maybe Decom just thought that it would it would uh, it would kill kill the story or or de- derail the plot somehow if, if if he was able to arm all of his his Roman soldiers with with guns. It would it would it would make the make the warfare less exciting some, somehow. Yeah. Well, I mean, sure. He, I mean, you, you'd have to spin it out. Like he gets, he can manufacture bombs. He has a string of remarkable military victories predicated on the fact that he has bombs and nobody else does. And then Belisarius, you know, gets his ha- gets his hands on the secret of bomb manufacture, and then everybody's got bombs, and uh, you get kind of an arms race situation. And I guess that's just not, not just not the story that. Uh, the camp was interested in telling yeah but yeah jeff I, I resonate with you on the whole arbitrary nature of that because you would think you know combining chemicals to make something blow up is relatively simple compared to some other scenarios that that he he is able to accomplish because man I, surely i wasn't the only guy out in the alley behind my house mixing things together to make them blow up as a kid yeah <laughs> i mean the steps to, to manufacture black powder are they're certainly not intuitive Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I certainly don't think I could get it right on the first try. I've never tried to do it, but I, I know the process in theory and I figure, you know, you give me six months and enough, uh, access to enough compost heaps and I'm pretty sure I could, I could manage something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Does, does, does anyone have any other, uh, Favorite favorite parts or, or interesting points that, that they that they want to bring bring up. Hmm. 
I'll say I'll just mention something I particularly enjoyed. Um, Jeff Wick, you said your uh, your your background, your PhD is in in science or chemistry. Is that right? Uh, chemistry, say? yeah. Chemistry, yeah. Well, my my doctorate is in theology, and <laughs> and uh, so I, my ears perked up, my readers' ears perked up when they started using the language of the different fractional. Uh, Christian groups during that time period. I really enjoyed that, you know, um, mentioning like the Arians and the Nestorians and people like that. That that got my interest up. And then the big uh, the big theological debate that breaks out into a huge bar fight fairly early on in the book. Uh, that was a fun bit. I liked the uh, the running gag of how Padway explains that he's a Congregationalist, which is really similar to whatever sect of Christianity the person that he's talking to belongs to. That's right. Yeah, that's his, his catch-all umbrella safety net thing. <laughs> and and, and, yeah. and he also keeps saying he's from America, which is just really far, far away. And, like, no one that, that he talks to ever catches on that that's not a real place. He, he's not wrong. I mean, America <laughs> does exist at this point in history. The people there would not recognize him. Yeah. The continent exists. The name that that name of the continent doesn't. I mean, there's but, there's but I mean, there's there's no one that that he talks to that doesn't just kind of shrug and go, whatever, America, sure, that's probably somewhere. <laughs> sure. Well, a lot of the a lot of the people that he interacts with take a lot of really peculiar things about him. They just they they just don't worry about it. I mean, there were the people that saw him appear at the beginning of the book, and he's dressed in modern clothing. Mm -hmm. He has a wristwatch. He's speaking a funny language. Um, and it, he gets like maybe one or two odd looks, but, you know, if I was in high school and I was running a game and it started off with a player character time traveling back like that the first thing that i would have done as a game master would be to surround the player with a throng of curious people who um are asking a bunch of questions and that's something that never hap never happens in less darkness fall even when um padway is like trying to explain his wristwatch to somebody the uh, their response is not oh my god how does how do you man how does anybody manufacture such an incredibly sophisticated device it's why on earth would anybody try to measure time in sixtieths of a sixtieth of an hour what's what could possibly be the point of that mm -hmm. that's right yeah yeah all right so I mean this this was this was a pretty short book so uh it, it makes sense that we had a pretty short uh discussion but i, I think we sure. can we can we can wrap it up does, does, unless anyone has any final points one last question for you guys regarding this um uh do, did you guys read a paper copy of this or did you read an electronic copy of it i had an electronic copy i could not find an electronic copy uh so i, I bought a paper copy okay well on my paper copy the title page uh, it's got the title and the author, and then it, it's the little a little plot blurb, or basically it just says a hilarious, fast-moving novel of a situation that could not happen to you. And man, I thought about that blurb like ten times as I was reading this. Um, that's that's pretty accurate, I think. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if I found it hilarious or not. I, I can track with the fast-moving part. It was definitely written to be read. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's it has a sort of. 
a sort of easy readability to it that I feel like a lot of the appendix in fiction up to this point has not had. That's true. And that as we move further through the 20th century, I think we're going to see more and more of that. Yeah, that's probably Uh, right. I would have at best said an amusing, fast moving novel. (laughs) Because I did. I very much enjoyed this book Mm -hmm. and I'm glad to have read it and am very much motivated to want to pick up more of this guy's stuff now and read it. Um, But yeah, I wouldn't have said hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> mine, mine, mine says a a a classic time travel story of modern man's confrontation with the ancient world. Interesting, because that is modern that, man's confrontation with the ancient world makes it sound like this is this is a fight that we all of us have to go through in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I, I I confront the ancient world every day. In a metaphorical sense, are we not all traveling back in time to Byzantine Rome every day? <laughs> It's the modern condition. It's the modern condition. It's 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 the it's the existential crisis of our of our time. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that, I think we can definitely bring this discussion to a close. Uh, Lewis, where on the internet can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Rev Lewis Brenton. Uh, R e v l o u i s b r e n t o n. And I also write at lewisbrenton.com. And Jeff Wickstrom, where can people find you? I still have the webpage, jeffwik.com, although I have not updated it in way, way too long. Um, if you go to Amazon and search for my name, you can find books that I've written. There may be a, a new one of those uh, before too much longer. Uh, it may not be. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right. And uh, my name is Jeffrey Wynn. You can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Wynn. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-D-W-I-N-N. The next book we will be talking about is Swords Against Darkness uh, or Swords Against Death. The most D&D of of all of Appendix N up to this point, certainly. The next book we we will be... The next book we cover will deal with the adventures of Fofford and the Grey Mauser by Fritz Leiber. I can't wait to get to it. This has been Appendix N, Episode 34, Let Darkness Fall by L. Sprague de Comp. Thanks for listening. <laughs>